0: you. <music>
1: Welcome everybody to Finding Hermes. I hope you're ready to go through some doors and leave your cards on the table as we all go finding our own Hermes, our mind, our lost mind, and the potential in there. This is episode five and with us we have the pleasure of being joined by Derek Hunter. Derek, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. Thank you, Miguel.
2: And uh, thank you for having me on here again. It was a great pleasure for me, um, you know, talking to you last time. It was uh, very, very meaningful and uh, just really, 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 um, you know, profound for me on a personal level. And a lot of other people uh, responded really well to it. You know, um, I got a, a lot of good responses from people with that interview. So it's it was a pleasure talking to you and knowing you and, and and very happy to be back here
1: yeah enjoyed it too and it's been uh almost a year came out late 2019 or early 2020 yeah. and my my god how things have changed uh it looks like we're yeah. living in a different world so we have different needs and i contend we have higher spiritual needs and psychological needs and we must reach them hence uh the idea of finding hermes and you came out with your new book that you started before the world change in 2020, but I think it's a very appropriate title. I have the book here. I'm sure I will put an image here as we go through the interview, but it's, uh, yeah, put it right in front, but The End of the World, A Love Chaos Grimoire for the Survival and Evolution of Human Beings, so a uh, appropriate book, but uh did you change this book at all once the pandemic hit, or how did what was the process of your new book? Well, the book is based on a ritual that I six day ritual that I did uh,
2: from um, March sixth through March eleventh. Um, so, on the last day of the ritual was when um, COVID nineteen was declared a, a, a pandemic, um, and so the the timing of it was certainly odd. Um, my my you know motivation to do the book was coming from my response to uh, climate change uh, and seeing that as a threat so that was my main focus uh, of, of doing the ritual and writing the book um, in terms so when I was writing the book um, it was actually during um, while the pandemic was becoming a big deal and um I uh actually at the time later that month in the beginning of April um got very ill with uh coronavirus symptoms mm. and was actually uh had to I, I couldn't work for three weeks. Wow. Uh, there was a time where it was really got bad and I and I had a hard time breathing and went to the emergency room. Um, but it w you know I was tested and was not positive for coronavirus I've never have been I've been tested maybe eight or nine times and uh and you know I've always been negative so but during those three weeks while I was uh ill I was writing intensely on the book and uh you know I think that the coronavirus is just one more elements to uh the threat to that we face uh the challenges that we face for sure and um uh you know, I still feel that climate change is still the biggest threat. Um, and uh, I've really strided, you know, I, throughout my work in fiction or nonfiction with love chaos, I've, I've really tried to stay away from being too polemical, too political. Um, but I feel like with climate change, it's, it's one area that it, it does transcend that and being a father to a 15 year old uh son my 15 year old son you know i'm looking at his future and his children's future and um so i really felt like i you know i've been practicing magic for over 10 years now and most of my work has been about personal transformation and helping myself Uh and like in our last interview we talked about um my past issues with substance use uh and other psychological issues that i've had to deal with and overcome and i've used magic to help me with that and so Having known that, seeing how magic can work, I, I felt that, well, why not um, do something uh, big and try to do whatever uh, practice that I have, expand it, enlarge it um, to a, a, put an effort and um, in my will into the universe and uh, however small that may be, it would just be, you know, putting it out there um, and to affect change. Uh, so, I think that with the COVID situation the way it is now, I think that um, it's definitely something serious that we have to handle and take care of. And, uh, and, I, and my hope is with this book, it will encourage practitioners to, to begin to understand that our work can be used not just for our own personal benefit, but also can help um, on a larger scale, can help um, our species. Uh, and certainly, I think that, you know, that could be used towards um, pandemics like coronavirus or diseases, uh, you know, and we can certainly use our work for the betterment of of humanity.
1: And uh, but what is the goal? You talk about uh, your books, Love Chaos and Love Chaos Theory and Practice. What is the purpose, and as you just mentioned, these are for uh, the expansion of consciousness, uh, more harmony in your mind, addiction, just uh, better interpersonal relationships. But what is the goal of this ritual To, in relation to, let's say, world environment? I mean, is this a, a ritual for the individual or to change the world or a collective uh, transformation? What is the goal? So the, the goal is for the survival and evolution of human beings. So it would be that, um,
2: as I, I talk about in the book, we want to try to do our best to um, make it so that living on Earth is uh, will be extended for as long as possible. Um, but the but the science is showing that um, really the are our, our, the, the chances of us surviving this century is pretty slim. In terms of of human beings living on this planet and so uh, the the intention of the ritual was for us to survive number one and so then this in 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 many ways will be surviving on earth but also surviving um, elsewhere Um, you know whether it be mars uh, and that when i was doing the ritual and as i was communicating with the spirits who were speaking to me in the scrying aspect um, much of what i was hearing in terms of the voices that they were speaking to me was that was that the direction of and of the survival of our species were were would be off this planet and uh but in terms of doing the best we can for making life on this planet livable for as long as we can will it, you know um strengthen the possibility of more people leaving this planet um obviously not everyone's going to be able to do that um but um So really, and then there's the evolutionary aspect to it, too. I didn't want it to only be about survival. Uh, My intention of the ritual and the book was about evolution. Um, And I I view that humanity has done tremendous amount of of extraordinary things in the past, and we can can reach back and and regain a lot of that insight. Um, But I I really, truly believe that there's still a lot of work to be done. We can still um, develop ourselves, personally, uh, interpersonally, and as a, as a whole, as a species. So, a lot of what I was doing there was not just about survival, but was about evolution. And by through the work that I was doing, sending these um, these spirits out into the universe to affect that change.
1: Awesome. But now the game has changed a bit. I mean, I was reading today about, uh, long lines for food pantries. People, lots of people have lost their jobs. Uh, people are starting to grow hungry, not, not in just in this country, but, uh, food supply chains are broken. So they're talking millions of children will soon be suffering from starvation. Obviously fear, addiction anxiety, depression, all these things are affecting a lot of Westerners. So now it seems uh, the game has changed a bit. Um, what, How has uh, the coronavirus changed your spiritual work or attitude or what you focus on? Well, I mean,
2: I, I, I don't think the coronavirus has, has necessarily changed um, a lot of how I view life or... Um, you know, the world around us, because, you know, for, for my philosophy of love chaos, it views that the, the, the nature to existence is chaos. The nature to uh, life is unpredictability. And it, yeah. it a lot of times things happen which we cannot predict or control. And so the point of love chaos is that we want to, for me, uh, and for whoever else wants to follow the path of love chaos, is that you focus as much of your, attention, uh, and energy on, on love. And, uh, and, and that was one of the the biggest motivators behind this ritual was a love for my son and his future and the love for humanity. Um, and I really feel that because things are getting worse and, and, and as bad as 2020 was, um, there's a good chance that 2021 may get worse and we may see things continue to go in that direction. And we're going to, I think that many people are going to reach towards a lot of different philosophies and spiritualities to provide some consolation. Uh, Some people may join really extreme spiritualities or political uh, uh, um, groups, um, because when we live in extreme times, people tend to reach towards extreme uh, solutions. And so um, for me... You know being I am mean, uh, 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 agnostic uh, agnostic gnostic, which is, of course sounds oxymoronic. I think we talked about that in the last interview um, but for me I, I what's really helped me tremendously is my agnosticism is my doubt and my uncertainty and my embrace of that um, so it, it, it to me uh it's grounded me and uh, in my own way, my own small way. I hope to um, put that energy in that out there because I know that there's going to be a lot of extreme ideas out there already is. And so I want my voice to be a voice of of, of, um, will, acceptance of of, of uncertainty, uh, but in some way um, not reaching towards uh, extreme reactions
1: yeah well said it reminds me of uh, the story of uh descartes demon where descartes wondered if uh very much an agnostic idea if everything he was seeing out there was just an illusion of some evil demon that wanted to torture him and the demon could even have fooled him to think one plus one equals two but descartes realizes that's was the road to reason and enlightenment was doubt maybe everything was a lie but the idea that he could doubt and question even mathematics was what something that could lead him to uh, to a place of uh, reason and stability so i think that works with your ideas of chaos and the un- unpredictable universe and how you just have to embrace it but um right. I think, uh, but obviously these times are uh, very unusual, very stressful. Uh, Like you said, uh, the apocalypse doesn't care about calendars. It's not going to say January 1st. I'm back to normal. I'm going on vacation and forget about the election and just wipe it (laughs) off your head. We're going to go back to the days of being able to go to Burning Man or your friends. uh, Things (laughs) are going to change. So, I always want to make sure we give people the advice and the choices today because in our last interview, which I advise uh, the viewers and the listeners to take a look, uh, Derek really breaks down the philosophy of love, chaos, gives a lot of choices. And what we want to do here is give choices. But one thing I wanted to ask you on your personal level and how you deal with things is what about fear? What are some techniques you use to overcome fear because obviously you're you're very syncretic like most people in the occult you draw and you try to find a system that works for you. but tell us how you overcome fear and anxiety well that definitely
2: that, that you know for me um it definitely it, it is a struggle um uh, it's a daily struggle um and it's something that I think in terms of how I respond to anxiety or fear, um, those thoughts, those feelings that happen within me, um, I think that going back to doubt is an, is it, what I what I find interesting is that a lot of times people's perspective on doubt is that this notion of of doubting ourselves and questioning ourselves and and lack of belief in ourselves uh, is is a negative thing. And I and I and I think what what the, it, people get confused with is that we get these thoughts or these feelings come to us, whether they're from within us or outside of us, whatever their nature is, they, they happen to us. We have these fears, they, they happen. And so my feeling is, is that it's actually not doubt that is the problem. It's belief in those ideas. It's we have a thought about, say, we have insecurity. Um, say that, that we feel that, uh, you know, um, our wife doesn't love us or our children don't appreciate us or whatever it may be that continue that from that point on will um, basically continue and continue with like in a domino effect. Like one thought after another thought after another thought will happen that will increase the feelings of um, low self worth, of mm-hmm. depression, of anxiety. Uh, and can continue to expand. And my feeling is, is that what, ha- what's happening there is that people are, are actually attaching belief to those things that these feelings or these fears that are coming at us are in some way attacking us. And, um, when you see it for that, um, it's, it's, it, it, if, if you are able to embrace doubt, then you don't believe these things that you can, you can look at it and see like, there may be some truth there, because otherwise, why would I believe it? But it, it ultimately, if I look at the bigger picture, if I step back and see that there's actually a lot more evidence to show that my wife loves me or that my kids appreciate me or whatever it may be that I have um, these other elements. So that's what I do is that I, I, I have to step back. Uh, I meditate every day. I do meditations and prayers uh, every day, every morning to get my day started. And that helps to put me in the right frame of mind so that as I deal with life's situations, um, I'm able to see things for what they are and not necessarily have to believe in those things. Um, I think that's a big problem is that people believe in what's coming at them and you don't have to.
1: Yeah, I think that's, that's, uh, that's well said. I, uh, something I'm trying to spread through the shows is, uh, had a past guest, Rachel Connerly, and she, uh, we did a, a show on Jung and a lot of things we, we weren't able to really, uh, focus on fully, which we will do in the future. But, uh, one of her insights studying other Jung, Jungian analysts is that, um, uh, When we get these uh, feelings of depression and eventually suicide, it's we think that we need to destroy the body. Our ego assumes that this information that's coming from the unconscious, these energies that are blocked, that are coming in, are telling us that uh, we must die physically, or the depression tells us we must collapse completely. But what uh, the message is, is always, uh, it's not the body that must die. It's our worldview that must die. If, uh, if our ego doesn't understand it and doesn't want to go on the soul-building journey, that it's supposed to go with the, with our soul. So it assumes it must die. But if we, we see it that something in our worldview or our entire worldview has to die for something new, which 2020 is a great opportunity, then things change. And like you said, uh, these thoughts, when I have these thoughts, I realize it's not, uh, they're not bad. It's not my soul or my unconscious trying to torture me. It's sending me a message and it's a useful Mm -hmm. message. My ego is blocking it and trying to fight it. But there is treasure there when I listen to the message of my ego and I can work with it again, even if it's Descartes' demon, as you know, in your book, uh, Chronazon or Satan or Lucifer or Yaldabaoth, they are testing our egos and they are benign, beneficial beings if we listen to their challenges. So I, the, yeah. I think that's how it ties in with your ideas of beliefs. Our beliefs are torturing us. So we must change our beliefs as much as often as, as, as often as possible, destroy them and start new. Yeah, I definitely think
2: that, you know, however you want to identify whatever these things are coming to do harm, I think that's a good attitude to take is that you have, rather than seeing it as a thing that's going to destroy you, you see it as a challenge and seeing it as something that maybe it's pointing to something that you're not looking at. Um, and, And maybe it does have a beneficial side to it. Uh, I think that's a really good attitude to take so that when people are confronted with the challenge or or something painful or stressful, that it's um, maybe there's an element to it that it is like a, say, an enemy to me. But also maybe it is something that is trying to um, tell you something. Um, And I think that when we look at it in that way, uh, sure. Because I think a lot of times when I when, when we feel pain, we feel frustration or stress. It's because we have a certain attitude towards the experience and the attitude is maybe what we need to change and how we can you know
1: yeah and i, I mean i advise people don't feel it's uh your soul or your mind is being antagonistic uh, i'm sure you can agree you're laying in bed in the middle of the night you want to sleep and some horrible memory just comes rushing at you from nowhere and you're like why did this memory come to me? Damn it. I'm trying to sleep or you're doing right. something and you think I'm sure you think of the days when we were doing drugs and drinking. like, do I have to revisit this shit again? And right. it used to drive me crazy. Like, when am I going to be done? And just this year, I said, no, it's uh, these are good things. My soul is sending me these messages for my benefit. So something I need to address, something I need to look into. So don't get all stressed out and angry. Just said, okay, what's the message behind it? Let me meditate it. And sometimes uh, between, between us, I know that the mind is a trickster. Sometimes I swear my soul or my mind is sending me these things just to shitpost, you know, sending me a message just to mess with my head. And I'll go like into this meditation where I scream at my mind is like, is this really valid? Is this really real? And sometimes it will just dissipate, but most of the time, uh, if I just allow this feeling, I meditate on it, this image, I try to understand it and have the attitude. It's there to help me and help me build into a better person, deal with these, these feelings. Um, then things work out much better. I don't have to be tortured anymore by the past as us, you know, drug addicts and, uh, other people, because we have a, a long list of crimes and things we did wrong in the yeah. past. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, I, I, yes,
2: definitely. I think that um, I, I, the past is is there, and uh, certainly we don't want to, you know, dwell on it, perhaps. But definitely, we get those memories, those those, those thoughts from the past. Um, it's, I think they're they're really good reminders, you know. Uh, in my work in helping people. Uh, it's a lot of times, especially if people have trying to get over an addiction is a lot of times, um, the opposite may happen in terms of like a a nightmarish memory. It's actually the opposite. They'll remember the good times. They'll remember the good highs, all this sexiness that applies to it, the romanticizing it, the lifestyle, and, uh, that can, you know, start to overwhelm a person. That's where a lot of, why a lot of people, I think relapse. Is that they remember all that stuff, and if we forget all the horrible stuff that we did or had or happened to us while we were during those times, that can help check us and put it in balance in terms of understanding well the reality of it. Right again, going back to just seeing all the different evidence of like our past, not just hanging on to one, say one memory, but looking at the big picture of it, uh, and can can stop people from relapsing into a behavior or a a drug, you know?
1: Yeah, well said. And even your book, uh, Love Chaos, talks about uh, discomfort as one of the themes, how to deal with the discomfort of life. Uh, Another tool I say is, uh, I just say, look, I'm a human being. Depression, anxiety, fear are come with the package. Nothing to be ashamed of. I'm not different and things it's part of my humanity and that's just fine and again Hermes is not trying to destroy us he's actually trying to lead us through a door with these memories these feelings and everything else but yeah that's one of the one of the themes in your book is how to deal with discomfort
2: yeah yeah I I, when I was trying to think of how to describe some you know the way I feel that a lot of us feel like exactly what you're talking about was this idea of this this discomfort of living. And I really feel, you know, strongly that it's present in everyone, um, and all animals too. Um, we're always, you know, the unpredictability of things causes us to be in that way. And uh, there's a negative side to it for sure, but I don't think it's all negative. I don't it's like with chaos, there's certainly a negative aspect to it, but it's not all negative. Um, and, uh, just like you say, like just understanding and embracing that that these feelings that I may have that we call depression and anxiety are are part of our nature. Um, and we certainly wouldn't be able to experience joy or self-confidence or pleasure or um, love without these insecurities. You know, these insecurities are really in place to, um, I think, experience love in a really genuine way if there was no, if there was no pain and there wasn't any of these difficulties, then, uh, I think the love in the world or the happiness in the world would be, it would be less, it would be less authentic.
1: Yeah. As I tell people just, uh, or as I've been saying, uh, listen to the gods your inner self uh and if there's discomfort it's usually your ego does not want to go with some new plan some new uh system some new inside so that's where so much pain is blockages some people say blockages in your chakras uh whatever tradition you'll find this analogy i think is we humans we have the potential to be divine and to do the right thing and to grow organically But we just, and as you say, as evolve. but uh, it's a matter of just finding those streams and unblocking those energies and go on that soul building journey that we were meant to be. And I'm talking about Hermes and gods and all that. uh, And one thing I like like about your work, Derek, is the idea of really uh, mythologizing things, uh, grabbing on to some tale or legend or God and letting that guide you through life. Could you tell the audience a little bit about that and certainly prevalent in your work? A lot of gods, a lot of figures are there guiding you, even if you're agnostic at the end of the day. <laughs>
2: right. Yes. Yes. Well, that's definitely something that I think it's important to know is that for me, um, I I have a lot of um, entities that I work with uh, that are a big part of my life and that are a big part of this mythology. And, and not only in my, uh, work as a practitioner of magic, but also in my my writing, my storytelling, uh, a lot of, of, of these entities find their way in my work as a writer, in my stories. And um, so for me, this notion of a mythology, what I, I like to call it a mythology is because when we generally think of mythology, we think of something from the past. Uh, we think of it being also like a myth, not true. Um, and if we can call our beliefs, uh, and the, the, the entities we work with, um, a part of a mythology, I think that it can help to provide a little bit of distance from this experience of our, of our belief systems. Um, now this doesn't mean that one, for me, I'm very passionate. I'm very passionate about a lot of things in life. And I think that a lot of times people think, the agnostics cannot be passionate. They don't have convictions. They don't, they just doubt everything. Right.
1: Sit around shrugging their shoulders.
2: Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so for me, that's not the case. I think it's important for people to know what my form of agnosticism is, is that, so I have a lot of practices and I have a lot of entities that I, um, that I work with. And for me, the way it works is that as a agnostic, I uh, I accept two different possibilities. One possibility is that all these entities that I work with um the spirit world so to speak or whatever other uh, the the unseen that I work with that, that I feel that it, uh, is there in the universe maybe not in the material universe but it exists in some way actually does exist that there is a real objective truth to these entities to this um, dimension that it, it, it is a reality so I'm willing to accept that and that it's real uh, on the other hand I'm also willing to accept the possibility that it's all in the imagination in my imagination uh, that there is no real objective truth to these entities or to the spiritual even to my own soul um, now I tend to lean towards the belief in these things uh and i I tend to lean in that way but i also feel for me it helps to be able to accept that it is purely psychological um that these are tools that are beneficial in in a in a in a psychological sense an intellectual sense an emotional sense that is has no real reality uh, or existence out of the material um world then i'm fine if if if, uh, uh, if if science could explain all that i work with in a, in a materialistic sense i i don't i'm not i'm not at war with materialism i'm not fully embracing it either um i'm not i'm not i'm not at war with it and i'm not like a champion for materialism um and i feel that helps me uh it i i feel i'm not going to try to say that magic is the same as science um i i i think they share some similarities but you know there really are two different um modes of going about arriving at at uh at conclusions or goals um and and certainly uh i think you can bring some scientific um ways the theory method into practices of magic but i don't i i wouldn't say that it's in the same area for me you know so i i I feel that it's it. it um, having having said this, so having said that there's these, these two different possibilities for me, um, I go ahead and I, I've created a mythology that suits me. And I when I tell people that it's really important to find something that works for you. And um, so for me, I, I a lot of what I do is about <clears throat> inversion. So in my writing, um, you know, going back. Um, a long time ago, I, one of my favorite novels is Dostoevsky's *Crime and Punishment*. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan of Dostoevsky, and and for anyone who knows Dostoevsky, they know that he was very spiritual and he was uh, he was Christian, and uh, he has a Christian message basically in his novels. Um, very spiritual, very humanistic, uh, and but then he's also a lot of his books are about uh, questioning things and doubt. And certainly, he a lot of his characters who represents uh, questioning the spirituality, questioning God, are very strong characters. So one can imagine that he had a side to him that did question things, that did doubt his own beliefs, uh, and that's what I find really interesting about him. But so for me, uh, I like the story uh, of Raskolnikov and and his sort of his mental state and 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 how disturbed he was how he committed a murder, how he tried to justify it and what happened to him afterwards. So I ended up writing a novel. uh, It's called I and it's about opening the third eye and it's through a process uh, that is completely different uh, in many ways, not a hundred percent, but very different from Dostoevsky's philosophy. Uh, And in in my version of the story, the the murder by the main character was committed in self-defense and it wasn't uh, planned or weirdly justified murder like Raskolnikovs. Um, and then he, he doesn't turn himself in. Like the big major conclusion for crime and punishment is that he turns himself in. He, he, um, basically accepts guilt. Uh, and I, for me in my philosophy, I've uh, a big part of what I do is overcoming, uh, guilt. Um, it's accepting responsibility, but it is not, um, so to speak, uh, kneeling or um, being subject to the oppression of, a, of, a, of an authority that I feel is unjust. I, I, for me, authority is, is important and we need to have authority. Um, but if it's unjust, I will not. If it's trying to do me harm or do others harm, uh, I won't bow to it. So coming from this perspective, I created in the last 10 years of mythology from that. And so for me, uh, you know, I explained that I'm an agnostic and I'm also a Gnostic uh, in my own way. And, and the third component of my my mythology is I'm a Luciferian. And so for me, Lucifer is the entity that rep- represents liberation. Um, and in my mythology, I have the sort of the the the, the top um, entity at the very top is what i would call no thing it's beyond explanation it's beyond definition and so under that are the for me the two uh first uh uh male and female components to existence the male is chaos and the female is babylon on this was heavily influenced of course by Thelema and crowley uh, and if you look in terms of the ancient Greeks, uh, as well, chaos is a big component to their uh, mythology. And, uh, and then in terms of the Thelamites, uh seeing that chaos was the consort to Babylon. So it was something that appealed to me. Uh, and this notion that Babylon is the mother to us all uh, and will accept us all as well. Um, we'll accept this. The only, she's also the holy whore. So she is also uh, uh, will not turn anyone away being the holy whore. The only price that she asks is your own ego. And so from this starting point, you know, we all have egos and I don't think it can be completely destroyed. But a process, I think the process of of, uh, limiting our ego is a healthy process. And for me, my relationship with Babylon is about that, Um, that I am I am special, but I am by no means. Uh, uh, you know, there's millions. There's infinite uh, uh, other expressions uh, in the universe on our planet of other beings, uh, and I think that are are just as special and unique and beautiful. And so, so for, for so for me, my demi urge, so to speak, is the character you mentioned, is is Chiranzan. And so for him, he represents a response to that, and his response to his mother is that um, no you know uh i'm the i'm the one that matters most right. everything is revolved about around me i am the one that matters and then flips the mythology and actually denies his parents he denies the existence of a of a mother figure denies the existence of of a of a of chaos as as the father figure and says that no i am the one that created everything i am i am god yeah. yelled
1: about right there
2: <laughs> right <Yeah. laughs> so this is a mythology for me and I, and i feel like tiranzon exists in all of us tiranzon is is the insecurity that we all have uh the the whenever we feel strong feelings of jealousy and then ha- and then hang on to those feelings of justice, jealousy whenever we feel strong feelings of hate and we hang on to those feelings of hate hating other people um uh, the need to feeling of destroying others I, I think it all stems from this really deep deeply rooted aspect to existence that you find not only in human beings but in all life forms and uh, so for me, uh, Lucifer is not a fallen angel uh, for me, Lucifer is Charronzon's brother, and he are they're they're equals in a sense, and uh, Lucifer is the light bringer and is the liberator. So everything that Charronzon is Lucifer is not. And from there there's there's more to my, you know, system that I have, other entities that I work with, but those are the the main ones.
1: Yes, and uh and you you mention it in your other books, but then your new book, The End of the World, you list them all. And it's fascinating. And it's certainly with the Gnostic spirit, you're talking about reversing things. The Gnostics were always about deconstruction, destroying the normal worldview, uh, making Cain and the serpent of the garden into the heroes, uh, to making Osiris into the villain. I mean, they were throwing things upside down so they could find those uh, spaces where they could explore new possibilities and uh trick their demiurge, trick the demiurge of the world and find something new. So uh I think it's important we all do that, embrace these new myths because myths are closer to the archetypal world and their energies and they are eternal and they have lessons. And as uh, Joseph Campbell said, they are the the secret uh language of the spirit. That's how we we learn things, but we gotta move these things around and Remember, what did Harold Bloom say? Um, the Gnostic ethos is that what can be destroyed must be destroyed. And uh, and also reminds me of the famous Jewish scholar Gershom Sholem when asking, what is the Kabbalah? He said, it's the revenge of the myth. It's myth coming <laughs> at you at full speed and going to rock your world and create a completely new being when it's over. So.
2: Right. I think you really hit the nail on the head. I think that it's really important because a lot of times people get they latch on to beliefs and uh, rather than growing, it stops their growth. I think that it, it, it's really important that people find ways um, to expand themselves um, and, and not to hinder themselves. And, and, and in, in a lot of ways, people, unfortunately, will find a, whole, will find a belief, hold on to it uh, and so strongly. Uh, because of the fact that it, it, you know, they're just scared of of, of the uncertainty of life, um, the fear of the fears of life and uh, whatever may be they feel is a, is a threat. And uh, turning things upside down is, is a great way to open yourself up. And uh, it certainly, you know, um, will not it won't it won't uh, uh, be nice and easy. There will be threats. And uh, from other people who will see the, your beliefs as a threat, certainly, you know, this, the moment that I say I'm a Luciferian, people jump <laughs> to conclusions uh, and, and think all kinds of things, you know. And I, and actually, that's why I'm very hesitant to reveal that. And what, everything that I was just mentioning to you right now is not something I really go around just telling everyone, because, you know, the moment people start hearing it, and they just start thinking I'm crazy. You know, it's just like how could you believe these things? You know, it's just like way the hell out of there. It's just like you're a wacko. Um,
1: Well, it's just a story. We human, as I tell people, we human beings, we work better with stories and narratives than we do with facts. It's the way our mind is created. That's interesting. It's how we grow and cope with the world, not through facts, but through our stories.
2: Right. I think you
1: said another great
2: thing right there. Is that whole? I think this is what it's important for people what helps me and what other people I think would help other people is this, that people want to be, want to pick a side, right? They want to pick, like I believe firmly in science. I'm a materialist. I'm an atheist or whatever, all this spirituality, metaphysics, occult stuff is a bunch of hogwash and is a real threat to humanity. But the problem is like a lot of what you find. And I, and I, and I know from my own personal experiences, that this is the worldview that you have, and it's really hard to live day by day by that, to be honest. Because actually, you're right, is that you're you know the human mind and our emotions actually does respond better to things that are not necessarily factual, because we have this imagination and we go on a roller coaster of emotions a lot of times. That like you know objective science doesn't really help us deal with that, and so. And then on the other hand, you have people who see science as a threat and that it's, it's completely wrong and that it's something that uh, there's some evil people behind it that are trying to destroy the world. And I, I don't honestly feel like that way at all. Um, I think that there's so much that has benefited us from science. And uh, so it's just this relationship. One doesn't have to replace the other. But in understanding that they're, they're both really um, necessary. You
1: know. Yeah, well said indeed is uh when you have in history both Anakin Skywalker and George W. Bush saying you're either with us or against us, you know that's a bad thing. You know to stay away from it. Although, however, I think Jesus says that in the New Testament. I'm just gonna say somebody put those words in his mouth. Because <laughs> I, I think Jesus was wrong on that one too, because obviously compassion trying to understand your enemies, loving your enemies and at the end of the day you just have to say they're afraid. I'm afraid. We're that's why we're yeah. digging our heels in. We don't want to let go. We don't want to embrace the chaos.
2: Right. Well, and that's what you I think that's the problem with a lot of uh, literalist Christians is that they take everything he said literally and uh I think if you were to take everything in the Bible literally, you could be, you honestly could become a schizophrenic. You know, because because there's so much in it that's so contradictory, you know,
1: and so it just. Yeah, there is a saying. uh, I forget uh, who said it. It was a humanist. uh, And I'll probably just flash it across the screen. But he said, uh, if you uh, were to believe everything in the Old Testament, literally, you would be a criminal. You know, follow everything in the Old Testament literally, you would be a criminal. If you follow everything in the New Testament literally, you would be insane. So, uh, Robert Ingersoll, I think. So you're right.
2: Oh yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's um, the, that's, that's the the problem with dogma. It's the, it that's really a huge problem with dogma, and that's what I when I created Love Chaos, I wanted it to be as far away from that as possible. You know, I wanted it to be something completely. Uh, undogmatic uh regardless of whether that meant it wouldn't be uh successful as a uh, a system it didn't matter i was very very much committed to that um intention behind creating it because um that's what helped me and that's what helped me in a really dark time in my life um and I, and i felt like that was necessary in, in the occult world uh in the world in general that there would needed to be something where something like this existed you know
1: yeah, and great job at doing that, uh, and talking about w- we talking about what we talked about the pre-interview, pre-finding Hermes. We were talking about the addiction in occult circles, mental illness, and for some strange reason, maybe it was Descartes' demon whispering in my head. I was like, I said uh, some. Verbal diarrhea, where I told you, Derek, well, the addiction isn't that bad in the occult world, and you corrected me, and I had to catch myself, so, oh my God, it is very high. What are your thoughts on this? Why are people already broken like you and I were when we went into more esoteric practices, and it doesn't offer the solutions to this, or what are your what are your thoughts on it? I mean, you brought up uh, some of these gods and uh founders of religions like you know we know how crowley ended up in his life not exactly sober uh are these systems just not conducive to mental health and sobriety and recovery uh what do you think
2: no i think that they can be certainly i think that you can you can definitely follow crowley and his and his uh, you can be a thelemite and be sober for sure um it just would be difficult um And I think that's true of a lot of different um, belief systems and practices in the occult world, because there's an emphasis on intoxication. And, um, you know, and it, it was something that for me when I first started getting into the occult, I was heavily into substance use. I was, I did hard drugs and I drank alcohol and I did rituals while I was very, you know, high and inebriated. And, um, and the, 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 the gods or the entities that I worked with, uh, were, were, were gods that personified that they personified, uh, excess intoxication and the sensuality. Um, and the the interesting thing for me was deciding that when I was getting sober, that I would continue working with these entities, Babylon being one. And also Pond. uh, and I, and a lot of the entities I work with, uh, you know, they they pride themselves on the senses, on pleasure, uh, on transformation of consciousness uh, through lived experiences in the flesh. And I felt like that these were things that I can continue to believe and practice. I could still continue to enjoy life, the sensuality of life as a sober person, uh, and I do. And it actually was, and it, what helped me tremendously was understanding that it, that being sober, abstaining from uh, drugs and alcohol was something that was um, not necessarily, it didn't have to be a chore. It didn't have to be something where I, everything was about denial. And so what what I did was find things that did give me pleasure. And I do on a, on a daily basis is a lot of things that I do. I, I ask the question is, is will this give me pleasure? Will I enjoy it? You know, does it bring joy to my life? And and that a big, big motivator of what I do is motivated by pleasure. And so I think that it, it, it's hard, though, for people to 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 let go, to be themselves, to enjoy life without being inebriated. And you have to really find ways to do that. You have to find ways where you can be comfortable in your own skin without being high, without being you know, buzzed or drunk, and I, I mean, I think there's a lot of people in the occult world who are very uh, um, self-confident, um, have good self-esteem, uh, are psychologically sound. But I think there's a lot of people who are, are they turn to the occult because as uh, an escape from reality, and I mm-hmm. think that they are turning to the occult for solutions to their to their lives uh and unfortunately without without seeking the more grounded uh, psychological solutions of of really dealing with their own uh demons psychological demons um and i think that then they turn to these really outlandish you know rituals or entities they work with and so when you're doing that when you're running away from your own personal demons um a lot of times that 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 will um, direct you in in, in, in getting uh, lost in, in excess and substances because you're running away from yourself and, uh, and you'll turn towards uh, uh, experiences and people and then also in the imaginal realm demons that love that that will encourage you and then once you once you get hooked to something it is one of the most difficult things to let go and once you've been caught with the substance, whether it be alcohol or heroin or crystal meth or cocaine or whatever it may be that there are, I really do feel like, you know, there's a physical aspect to these drugs. And, and if demons do exist, there's definitely very powerful demons that are associated with these drugs and will find a way to uh, enter your mind and enter your your whole body. Uh, and so people, I think that's, you know, the 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 power of the, of addiction uh, it works on on a both us a, on a multiple levels on, on on a physical level on a psychological level and I think in and spiritual level too yeah,
1: for sure and uh, real br- briefly could, as we did in our last interview could you list some of the other alternative support group and uh, addiction solutions out there again the purpose of the show is to give more choices. And last time you gave a lot of choices other than, you know, I got to go to an AA meeting or, you know, rehab.
2: Right. Right. Well, I think it's really important for people to know that even though we can't uh, go to in-person meetings now that uh, there are, there are countless meetings on zoom. Uh, There's so many different meetings you can find. Uh, You can Google it. And uh, certainly the 12 steps is a great place for people to go. Uh, It works for a lot of people. Uh, there's AA for Alcoholics Anonymous and NA for Narcotics Anonymous, and then there's pretty much anything you can imagine. There's Gamblers Anonymous. There's Sex Addicts Anonymous. There's Depression Anonymous. Uh, I like that one very much. I used to go there with an ex-girlfriend of mine, and really liked that that those meetings a lot. Um, so you have the, obviously you mentioned the Twelve Steps, but there are alternatives. Um, and I, it, while I value the Twelve Steps tremendously, that was not. Uh, what worked for me, you know, love chaos was my own thing that I that worked for me. But in addition to love chaos, there was uh, another group that I actually continue to um, go to weekly meetings on Zoom, which is called SOS. And it's a uh, similar organizations for sobriety. Now, this is a good organi- organization and meetings to belong to where you can have spiritual beliefs. You don't have to be an atheist or agnostic. Um, but it's your own business. So what a lot of these meetings are about is you have a sobriety priority and everyone talks about their lives, uh, struggles or joys, you know, and about how do you live a sober life? And, And no one is, if you're really, if you're the kind of person who doesn't really like to be told what to do, the SOS is perfect because you'll never find anyone telling you how to achieve sobriety or how to maintain sobriety um and so it it's really good for that and that's why i continue as i i've i've you know after years of, of going there um that's a good one um there's also others though too there's uh smart recovery which provides a bit more of a um rationalistic approach to addiction and to getting help um so smart recovery which is very good and then there is uh also refuge recovery which is a buddhist form of recovery and uh, they ran into some issues a couple years ago with the, the, the founder. Um, but they still are around. I'm not really quite sure. I used to go to those meetings in person uh, here in LA and they were great. Um, and uh, I, I'm pretty sure you can find them online. There's other kinds of Buddhist uh, 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 meetings. Also too, there's also online you can find many, many pagan, If people are interested in finding a pagan recovery support group, you can find them on Facebook. You can find them many places online. So if you there's like pagan uh, 12 step groups. So if you want to do the 12 steps through a pagan perspective, you can do that. Um, You know, there's really this there's many different uh, alternatives out there. I was planning on doing love chaos meetings, uh, but I have been having uh, health issues. So I'm not able to do that. And I've been focusing mostly on my, my fiction and my storytelling, uh, which really is where I'm, my heart is at anyway. I'm more of a storyteller. Uh, but if, so in addition to all these things, people can also check out my Love Chaos books. Uh, there's Love Chaos and Theory and Practice, which gives you a very straightforward approach to the three steps of Love Chaos. Uh, and so there's the, the daily living uh, of, with Love Chaos as a guiding principle. Uh, There's Love, Chaos, Psychology, and there's Love, Chaos, Magic. And it's a very, you know, straightforward book. I wanted to make it as straightforward as possible, easy to understand, you know, and and beneficial in those three different areas. Uh, And then my my most recent book, which is like a call to action for other practitioners to do a ritual uh, for the survival and uh, evolution of human beings uh, in their own way. Obviously, what I set forth in the book, It's just an example of what I do, all the different elements that go into it. uh, But it certainly is not something that people have to do. Uh, But it's a book that's meant to encourage uh, and and push, you know, push people, but um, motivate people um, to do something uh, for that uh, purpose of making sure human beings survive. Um, But, yeah, definitely, I think if people are struggling, just know, even though we are dealing with coronavirus and we can't be around people in person, you can find any whatever your belief system is. You can pretty much you'll find a, a support group for that. It exists. You just have to do some hunting, uh, doing some looking. And then my recommendation for people is that if you have a belief system that and you can't find another group like it, then make then make one. If you're you're motivated enough, create something. And people people are looking for help right now. And I can guarantee you that whatever you believe. There's other people out there who have very similar beliefs and who want to connect with you.
1: Well said, and very uh, a lot of great choices. Uh, yeah, and if you can, go outside and try to hang out with people. Strangely, this summer, one thing I did was I created a hummingbird feeder, a squirrel feeder, trying to get raccoons. I decided, well, if I can't be around humans that much, animals are just as fine. You know, they, they don't <laughs> criticize you as much as long as you feed them. So they, <laughs> right. they tend to stay sober longer. <laughs> right. so, well, and, uh,
2: a, a strong, like a lot of people are, are getting pets. Like the, a lot of the shelters are finding that they're getting, you know, a lot of people coming to, to
1: get pets, dogs in you and get place. a companion animal. If you're feeling down, Yeah,
2: definitely, definitely.
1: And um, so the just if you want to be, as we end just summarize your book if you uh, if you want to summarize it some more it's uh, again you break down the different entities you work with uh, your mission statement at the beginning and then is the actual ritual the preparation the materials and this will take about a week and of course you admit you don't disclose the end or what happened to you it's, right it's, you're not supposed to do in any good mystery religion
2: there you go right (laughs) it's something that it was really hard for me because i my intention was to write out every detail that i did for those six days you know um, that was what i was planning on doing and i was i was in the midst of doing it and i was writing it and uh as i was writing it uh, i kept on hearing these these you know these voices telling me not to and i just in the beginning ignored it i just thought it was something that was just a bad idea and as more time went on It just kept coming at me and then it made me me stop and reflect and it made me see that, you know, there are certain things that um, I think is important to keep a mystery and to have it so that um, when you're working with these entities, um, it's a very personal relationship. And obviously it it deals really strongly with um, the unseen. So, I think when you're trying to develop a strong relationship to help you with the intention of your ritual, you want to have a degree of trust. Uh, and some would say would call it, you know, you're making a pact with something, right? But you're making, a, you're 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 building a bond with these entities. Um, and if these entities are asking you to do something, unless it's really harmful to yourself or others, and you shouldn't listen to it for sure, obviously. But if it's something that is basically saying, you know, hey, let's keep this between you you and I, you know, it was a very special experience. Just, you know, you've already written a lot of details about the preparation, all the elements that go into the ritual. And I do, like you mentioned, you know, there's um, the explanation of how I went from being a practitioner of mostly sex magic, dealing with sigils, turning inward and working on, you know, transforming my inner self to change the outer self. This was a big change in trying to put forth uh, ideas, concepts, feelings, entities out into the world. So the work that I was doing with the Scrying, Conjuration and the Sigils was about putting it out into the world. And so uh, I go into that. uh, I go into, um, you know, what exactly is a, a, a grim? What is a grimoire? What is goetic magic that's been? In the last ten years or so, there's been an enormous like renaissance of that a big strong interest in that. Uh, and how, for a long time, I just turned away from it, but i found recently that there's definitely some benefits to that practice. And so it it goes into you know the whole big thing because whatever you do as a practitioner, whether you're a magician uh, 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 or a mystic, you know it's really important you put a lot of you're very passionate about what you do. Um, when you put a lot of effort into what you do, uh, you'll get great results and it'll be things that will be truly transformative. And that's really what, you know, aside from the intention of the book of the survival of of, of the human race and the evolution of it, I also wanted to encourage people to be passionate about their practice and really put a lot of um, thought into it, you know, whatever it may be uh, because then that's when you're going to start to see the real, personal transformations
1: happen awesome and well said and for the audience i will have uh information on derek and his book and his website and the show notes both on youtube the website and everywhere everywhere else so check it out and embrace a little chaos in your life you'll see how uh, things will get better but Derek uh, it's been uh, again a pleasure having you on this time on Finding Hermes I think your gnosis will help many walk through some doors and ultimately it's their decision if they want to go there but there are treasures on the other side there are treasures in the undergrounds of our souls and our minds and as always again thanks for coming on finding hermes derek and good luck with everything
2: thank you miguel it was a pleasure as as it was before the first time and it was really a, a lot of fun being here with you uh, on this different uh, platform a different way it was it was very cool a really great experience and hope this uh, can help people out there
1: it will thank you derek thank you miguel Have it, our interview with Derek Hunter on his book The End of the World, as well as his two Love Chaos books. Good stuff, and I hope you found some more tools to help you walk through those doors. After all, um Hermes is the god of doorways, the door hinge belongs to Hermes. And a lot of good gnosis in our interview with Derek. Good to have him on. Of course, one of the main takeaways or themes of the show was the idea of embracing chaos and uncertainty in your life. And that may not seem something that's very easy to do. There is this quote by Sigmund Freud that I thought of. And I have it right here along with my notes. And it goes... As Sigmund Freud once pointed out, the human mind has a low tolerance threshold for ambiguity. It clutches its straws in order to avoid drowning in uncertainty. And uh, yeah, that's from, um I actually got that quote from Jason Horsley's new book, 16 Maps of Hell. Good book. But anyway, it is very true. We want, certainty. we want to create patterns to go along with our lives and to navigate this existence. But that's just not the way the world is. And we have to accept it if we want a better mental health. I always like Gnosticism, or one of the reasons I was attracted to Gnosticism is that unlike other faiths that posit that we live in a somewhat harmonious universe with the code and the laws just, uh well, moving along well, creating a good environment for us, that's not uh well that's the opposite of gnosticism that says no we are thrown into chaos and we must somehow create an order within us to navigate this entropy that is the material universe yes and i am aware in the interview i was moving around a lot I guess my own anxiety was uh rising during the interview but I'm calm right now here, not moving around in my chair like uh, in the interview with Derek. It also reminds me uh the idea of uncertainty, that scene in Fight Club, when the protagonist and Tyler Durden are arguing in the car with some other fellows about just letting go. Letting go of everything so you can uh, really be embrace the energies of life. And uh, Tyler convinces or commands the narrator and the others in the car to take off their seatbelts. He lets go of the wheel and the car crashes. They all survive, but in the wreckage, Tyler rises up and says, We just had a near-life experience. And I think that's the goal of embracing uncertainty and chaos and the ways of Hermes, who is somewhat of a chaotic god. It's uh, that near-life experience, that ecstasy. And how do you do that? Well, as we talked about in the interview, it comes down to, well, to being the trickster god. Tricking your own mind, as Hermes would do, to create a transformation. Hermes is also the god of transition and that really can a simple way of doing it is just changing our habits uh taking new uh ways when you're driving take another route when you're walking take another route when you're walking to your car instead of getting in the car just jump on the hood for a few seconds um, as we discuss and the idea from Alistair Crowley, it's, uh, removing some word from your vocabulary like the, or it, or something like that for a month, or maybe just today, add a new word to your vocabulary. Um, do, if you're going into the bathroom at your job or a family uh, house, just do the chicken dance <laughs> something like that again like the dadis, of dadis uh of france just trick yourself change your habits slowly and there will be transformation and slowly you will be able to embrace the chaos of the world and of course there are esoteric practices like meditation and so forth which will allow you to slowly let go of your attachments and have that near life experience the other thing I wanted to talk about, too, is uh the idea, well, and the theme of this, of finding Hermes, as you've noticed, is the idea of depression, suicide, and anxiety. And unfortunately, it has really blown up today and just getting worse. It's uh not so much part of the accepted narration of the internet or the the news media but it's here and it's hitting us hard and it's uh it's breaking my own heart i was just reading an article yesterday the other day about how in japan in november more japanese killed themselves than died of the virus in all of 2020 it's terrible. And you can say, well, Japanese, Japan has a different culture, but when you do the research and breaking down, it has to do with isolation, depression, uh not being able to embrace uncertainty in that country and just a mental, mental health breakdown that's happening to the Japanese. And I, it's probably here on our shores in the West and it's doing a lot of damage from what I'm hearing and so forth. There's also an article about how uh, mental health um uh, wards and doctors are being completely strained by kids having mental issues. And it's just, it's, well, it really is surging and it really is stressing. So it's something I wanted to address now and doing that by bringing the ideas. Oh, well, before I get to that, uh, there is an article I read in Psyche magazine. I am flashing the web address right now in the video. The article is entitled, How to Talk About Suicide and Save the Life of a Loved One. Good, uh, good article and something you should read, especially during the holidays. The holidays are always hard for on people's psyches, but definitely more today. So if you notice any loved ones or colleagues that might be suffering, this is a good article. So perhaps you can make a difference. And if you're suffering, so it's a good article for you to get help or ask for help. It has uh, a lot of good stuff and it breaks it down into four points. Those are in the cycle of guilt and shame, cultivate emotional intelligence in an emergency call for help. Stay alert to triggering language. So that's one, two, three, four. Furthermore, I'd like to bring in the ideas of Rachel Connerly, which I have been repeating lately, but I do think it's important. And she's done a lot of work from the Jungian standpoint. And she explains through the work, also her own research and through the work of Robert Johnson about how suicide is a complex. And we've discussed a lot about complexes this year on Aeon Bite and Finding Hermes. And a complex is uh, basically a constellation of emotions, trauma, pa- the past, swirling around an archetypal core that basically comes up at certain times and takes over your sensible, rational ego. And, well, it's like a, a, a temporal... Uh, possession. And some of the examples that I've given on the show is uh, road rage, uh, something that triggers you with your spouse or your girlfriend or boyfriend. And suddenly it feels like you're just uh, reenacting something your parents did and you can't control it. Again, the complex is a sort of possession and we all have many complexes that can take over us. And well, the can do a lot of damage and many times a complex is this big mood that takes over you and suddenly just leaves you wondering what the hell happened why did i lose my temper when i was driving why did i i don't know why did i get into this fight with my spouse It seemed as something i'd always done Uh, i mean that my parents always did and so forth so I'd like to read what what Rachel sent me or has written and we will continue to discuss this in Finding Hermes and Aeon bite. because again, uh, this is important and these are really some hard times for a lot of people. Should we cue in some music? (laughs) Suicide is a complex. It happens when the ego becomes so distressed it wants to pull the plug on the whole operation. But rationally speaking, what exactly is this thing that suicide pulls the plug on? It's the ego feeling trapped in a complex, locked in a worldview it finds intolerable. Suicide is a solution in search of a problem. The actual problem has to do with the fact that we've outgrown our old worldview or paradigm. The suicide impulse happens when the ego is struggling under the weight of a paradigm more powerful and energized than the ego's ability to respond rationally. It feels like a 300 pound complex sitting on your 150 pound ego. Robert Johnson talked about how the impulse towards suicide has a seed of change connected to it. But it's misguided. The sea of change is the recognition that something has to die. Well, right you are. Something does need to die. But it's not your physical self. It's your worldview. And, of course, our worldview is the last thing the ego wants to give up. It refuses to continue on the challenging soul-building adventure. After all, the worldview is the ego's GPS system. It's organizing principle for life. Changing our mind is the hardest thing we ever do. That's why the Greeks refer to it as metanoia, which means a spiritual conversion. A new worldview is a psycho-spiritual conversion. It's the ultimate change, and the masculine in particular doesn't change easily. Change by nature is feminine, so the masculine must embrace and learn the feminine approach to change. Depression is not a disease, it's a wake up call that you've outgrown your worldview and you can't live there anymore. Literally, spirituality is just about waking up. So, yes. It's all about killing your worldview, not yourself. So don't harm yourself and realize that you can transform, as is the promise of Hermes. What did Philip K. Dick say? Since the universe is made of information, then it can be said that information will save us. And there is information coming at you, it's just that your ego is blocking it. There's information coming from within, from without. There is information out there that wants you to go on a soul-building journey. Each one of us has it, and the potential, and is on this journey. Each one of us, if we are to believe Gnosticism and other mystic pursuits, is a God in the becoming. And we all can get there so please don't go anywhere and if you see somebody hurting let them know that you care and let them know that there is help there is help from within there is help from above there is a way each one of us has an amazing potential has a sacred duty has a mission in this world and once we align ourselves with all these energies and parts of ourselves then it becomes apparent And then, well, there's no need for the body to die. And we just uh, embrace some new worldviews, a new alchemical transformation. Again, that's one of the, the domains that Hermes is in charge with. So don't go anywhere. There is a solution, as they say in AA. And there are many paths and tools you can take. But just ask for help universe is here to, to help you. And I can help you if you need help. If you want to call me or somebody ask for, ask for help. It's there. And of course we will continue to give you solutions that work for you and only you in finding Hermes as well as on Byte because, uh, I saw this coming this year in 2020 and I want to do something to help you to, uh, offer more choices and to convince people that they don't have to end their physical existence. They just need to change their worldview. And if there is depression, it's just a communication telling you that something has to change. So that's all I got. And I hope, uh, my little speech helps you in any way go through a, go through a door, put your cards on the table and find your own Hermes. Thank you very much for being here. And again, don't go anywhere.